You're listening to the Draft Center Podcast. Hello and welcome. This is the Draft Center Podcast. I'm Matt Cade. This is Craig Button. Um, and uh, it's ep- season two, episode five. And we're back and it's April. Not April, it's March still. I'm looking forward to April. April's when the uh, U18 tournament is about to be played in Finland. and Yeah, we're on the first day of spring. Yeah, maybe that's and what it is. Well, I'm just so hopeful that this weather will change that yeah, I'm, I'm think, jumping ahead a month. I think that's a refrain uh, felt all across the country. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Calgary, uh, I guess, on this spring day is getting a spring snowstorm. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, uh, I live in Calgary, so it'll be interesting to hear from uh, my wife. <laughs> about the uh, the Ides of March, shall we say? Yeah, well, it's not uh, that the, the, it's not that great here either. Yeah. I mean, it's no snowstorm, but yeah. it's not that great yeah. here in Toronto. Either, I just but. see it though, and I just know it's like oh, when you think it's over. But yeah. that being said, spring is also uh, you know the the time for eternal hope, right? And yeah. whether it be the NHL with uh, teams, uh, you know, getting ready for the playoffs, trying to make the playoffs into the playoffs, junior playoffs beginning the chl playoffs all begin yeah uh games are beginning on this thursday yeah so there's games already there was a play-in game on tuesday yeah prince albert had to travel to red deer yeah and uh you know red deer was up three two going into the third period and then prince albert found a way to uh you know emerge victorious josh morrissey the captain Leading goal scorer in the Western Hockey League, a member of uh, Team Canada's World Junior, first rounder to Winnipeg. If I forgot anything, Scholastic no, that's Player the, of the Year. Yeah, that's the resume. Everything that goes with it. Pretty, uh, pretty impressive resume. You know, goal and an assist. Leon Dreisaitl, a top prospect for this year, two assists. So, you know, you look to your leaders, you look to your key players to show you the way. And boy, uh, what, what, you know, really impressive to go yeah. and do that. I mean, and that's the type of momentum, that's the type of excitement that spring brings, despite a little bit of snow where you might not be wanting it or expecting it. Leon Dreisaitl, let's start there, because uh, in your most recent <sighs> Craigslist, Leon is the guy that, uh, one of the guys that made the biggest jumps. Yeah. And uh, I know you like talking about the big jumps, but uh, he's right up into the top five now, and I think that's definitely worthy of uh where the discussion. Okay, well, well, I guess the discussion really is, is it's great to say, oh, he took a big jump up. Well, let me tell you this. Uh, really, if, if, if I was on the mark and uh, I was a little bit more attuned uh, uh, to my own stupidity, we wouldn't be talking about a big jump. He would be up there regardless. So I think it's always a reminder to go back and look and go, geez, what was I thinking when I didn't have him in the top five? And, you know, we all get guilty of it. And when I say all, you know, you're watching players, you're scouting players, and there was a stretch of play there where you had where I had some questions. and But really, you know, you look at the bigger body of work. I'm a, I'm a big believer in it. I'm a big preacher in it. And, you know, guess what? I uh, I fell away from that, uh, that tenet, and so he jumps up. Right. In his rightful place. That's really what I would say about Leon Dreisaitl. Because you're talking about a big centerman that can make plays. He's got magnificent hands, terrific awareness. He skates well. You know, and, and, and he's able to push and carve his way into, into space and into areas that really challenge opponents. And that, that that's why he's going to be a top pick. And that's why I think he's going to be a really good NHL player. And w- when you look back and you say, geez, okay, yeah, the World Junior. And I'm not, again, going to the World Junior to evaluate. Germany was awful. He had no chance to be successful there. Then he comes back probably a little tired, but you know, those are the times where I think it's incumbent upon me to be 
have a lot more understanding of what the situation is instead of saying, oh, okay, I'm pushing them down the list. Uh, right. So really, uh, in, his rightful, in his rightful place. And you went so far as, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you went so far as to say that it could be a quartet of players who uh, could be that first overall pick. That Definitely, I have said that. So and Leon's in there with Ekblad, Bennett, and, and Reinhardt now. Well, it started out, in my view, with uh, with Sam Reinhardt and Aaron Ekblad, and I said, hey, listen, you know, you want a defenseman, you take Aaron, or you want a, uh, a brilliant center, certainly Sam Reinhardt qualifies. Uh, I think Sam Bennett uh, certainly uh, pushed his way into that conversation, and uh made an emphatic statement that he, he certainly deserved to be considered uh, in that class of player. And I think uh, much the same as Sam, Leon has done the same thing. So you're looking at uh, a draft uh, where you can say these are all four very good, and there's other players behind them. But I think you can say that, you know, if one goes first and the other guy goes fourth, depending on how it is, any one of them, depending on what a team wants, what their current situation is, I, I see those four guys as definitely being in the mix for uh, the first overall pick. When you did the the projections the other night, just basically guesswork about what if the if the season ended that day. And I think I'm pretty sure the the final five teams are still in those same final five spots. But you had Buffalo taking Bennett first, um, and then Reinhardt was until fifth. And and it just reminded me that last year with Seth Jones was you know your number one all year and. Um, your your line about Reinhardt sort of echoes what you said about Seth, which is if there's a better player, point me to him. Um, and Seth didn't get drafted until fourth, which you know it's 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 perfectly understandable, but in in a way seemed um, unlikely. Uh, but it just reminded me of that, where you know you have this player who who you see as the best player, and as you've said, if you want a defenseman, take Ekblad. If you want to want a, a centerman, take take Reinhardt. But um, it, it, I saw a mirror there of, of last year's uh, of last year's draft as well. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I do that. Uh, I do that projection. It's a it's yeah. a lot of fun. You know, you try to you try to get inside the heads of each individual team, and you know, I what what I try to do when I do that. You know, you want to make sure you're considering players that belong in that group and, right. and, and would be in consideration. And then you try to think about the rationale for why that particular team would take a player. And you, you, th- that's the thought process that goes into it. But you're right. There, there, there is a, a large amount of guesswork as well. So, you know, and, and, and I say this and I, re- I, I remind people of this constantly. You know, what I think about a player doesn't mean that I'm absolutely right, and if somebody else feels differently, doesn't mean they're absolutely right, of or that either one of us are wrong. It just means, that, and quite frankly, I I think Sam Reinhardt is a brilliant player, mm-hmm. and I, I, I that, that nothing he has done or shown me has made me even change my mind in the smallest, smallest way. But I, but I see that in Aaron Eckblad, and I certainly recognize that Sam Bennett would be getting consideration there. But, you know, my list reflects who I think is uh, one, two, three, four, all the way, you know, now to 90. Right. I mean, Steve Dryden has now been able to find a way to get me to do to 90. It's a <laughs> lot of work. And th- 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 there's some gaps because, you know, there's other things that I do. And there's only, so, I, I mean, I see 110 games or so a year, you know, but, you know, there's going to be some players that you just can't see a- enough of. But that being said, I, I feel comfortable uh Talking about them and talking about their strengths and their weaknesses, and that's how I—that's how I see it. And remember, I'm projecting right well, three so, to five years down the road. I'm trying to say I think these are the guys that once all maturity—not all maturity, but that that maturity from teenager to young man takes place—that right. I think these are the guys that 
to have the have the capability to be the best. Here's a picture of how this player will be as as yeah. an NHLer when yeah. he gets to that career started. Um, but just to be clear, the the projections that you did the other night, you're guessing what the general managers of each of those teams will do. You're not saying if I'm the general manager of the Buffalo Sabers, I would pick Sam Bennett because I, this is the needs that I feel he fills for this team. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's, it's not, not. It's not what I would do if right. I was a general manager. You're guessing if, what they would do. Because if I was a general manager in Buffalo, I'd be taking Sam Reiner. We can find your list right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that exactly well yeah. said. No, I'm just again. I'm trying to say, okay, this is their depth chart. This is the players they've had. I mean, I said Sam Bennett to Buffalo, and I said, geez, you know, he's a he's a centerman. He's got lots of skill. He's got an edge to him. And Tim Murray, when he was with the Ottawa Senators, he drafted Mika Zibanejad, yeah. and Mika Zibanejad to me skates, really good skilled centerman, and he has an edge to him. And I said, you know, similar type player. Tim has a history with drafting the, uh, this type of a player. So that's that was my rationale. And, you know, I don't think it uh, takes uh, any type of uh, uh, intelligence to say, oh, well, now Edmonton picking two. Oh, well, Aaron Eckblad's there. Like, right. I mean, I mean, uh, I, I, I've said this. If Aaron Eckblad is, is there at two when Edmonton, if Edmonton's picking two and Aaron Eckblad's there, like, Craig McTavish should just get on his Puma track shoes and try to break the record of Usain Bolt. That's how fast you should try to get up on the stage. That's what I think. So, uh, And then I looked at Florida. I mean, yeah. I'll go through the rationale, sure, yeah, Florida. Yeah, yeah. So Florida, we're, we're picking at that point. And I said, well, geez, they, they drafted Barkoff last year. Mm-hmm. They, they have Nick Bukestad, who's having a really good, solid rookie year. They just traded for Brandon Peary. So I started to think, well, we're, are they really looking for a winger? They have who are a center. Are they, are they looking? Uh, they have Huberto. You know, uh, is there a defenseman that comes into that category of player at that point? I, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, so to me, you would think that a winger would make some 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 sense there, and right. that's why I had Michael Del Call going to that team, and you know, and then I and then Buff, and then I really where the controversy may have begun is when I said the Islanders have to give up their pick this right. year. They, they they and maybe we can get into this after, and then it would go to Buffalo, and Buffalo just drafting Bennett, maybe the bigger centerman in Drysital right. would be a, a really good choice there, and you know. That left Sam Reinhardt to go to the Calgary Flames to play with Big Brother Max. At what point do they have to forfeit the pick? Like when does when does that decision have to be made? I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's June first. They have to inform. So, uh, like for example, they could win the lottery and and decide to keep it. Then, right? yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, the the reason I say that, I mean, it, it was a disastrous trade to begin with. Right. You know, Matt Molson, a first round pick and a second round pick for Thomas Vanek. And considering what the return on Thomas Vanek was, it's essentially come down to uh, Sebastian Kahlberg for yeah. all that. I mean, it's a disastrous trade. And, you know, I, I think that you, you, you can look at it and nobody wants to sit down and say, well, you know, I, I don't want to worry about next year because we think our team is going to be better next year. I don't think the Islanders are going to be better next year. Yeah. So that's why I said it would be catastrophic if they gave up next year's draft pick. And, and they're staring be... Jack Eichel, and to me, the first franchise-defining player since uh, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. Right. But make no mistake about it, to me, Jack Eichel is a is a superstar. Right. He's got that. He's got that potential. So, to me, a disastrous trade now turns catastrophic. If if you do that, we'll see what what they do. But um, to me, 
I, I don't know why you would uh, why you would take the risk. I, I, I just I, I don't know why you like like I said, like it, it can only turn catastrophic. It's already disastrous. So why do you want to take that risk? Right. Why do you want to take that risk? Do anything regardless of what you believe. Regardless of I believe that we're going to be a better team. Listen, you got young players. You lost Andrew McDonald. There's no more Thomas Vanek. Your goaltending doesn't look like it's in solid shape. You got all these young defensemen, all these young players. Bottom line is, to me, it's not worthy of any risk that could turn out to be catastrophic. Okay. Right. So why don't you just say, okay, the worst we can be is disastrous, which is what it is today. Why do you want to turn now something even into make it even worse? Right. That's why I say they have to give up the pick. Now, it might change if they win the lottery and they're picking one or two. I, I mean, maybe it does. Right. You, you, bottom line is, it still turns. It still has the potential for turning catastrophic. Right. If they end up in last place next year and they don't have that pick. Yeah, even if they pick first this year. Right. Exactly. Even if they pick first this year. So there you have it. So, I mean, just a, just a, a, a turn of events. Yeah. For the, and, and remember, in 2015, guess where they're going? Where? They're going to Brooklyn. Oh, where the team's going. Sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, oh, we could have had Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid going into the new building. Mm. Yeah. Wow, isn't that great? Put some butts in the seats. Uh, Butts in the seats. You got you, 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 Tavares. Your hope. See, I think it hurts. I mean, the players all know too. So what happens if the first pick comes up next year? Geez, we could have had him. Yeah. That's the good scary. thing. The good thing is, is back in October, I said it was a bad trade <laughs> 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 because I I didn't think there was much difference between Thomas Vanek and uh, Matt Molson. Well, yeah, right. So um, I'm not. I, I, this is no revisionist history. <laughs> right. I'm a big believer in Winston Churchill. If he didn't have a comment at the time, just reported his facts and exactly what happened after the fact. Don't weigh in. Right. But I weighed in at the time. So you're allowed to weigh in again. Oh, I can weigh in. I'll be allowed to weigh in for a long. I'll be allowed. I'll be weighing in on this uh, for a long time. <laughs> but uh, certainly, uh, again, as a as a team, as an organization that's that's ha- that's had challenges and not very much success. Uh, at all in the last 20 years. I, I, again, you're going into a new building, and like a, a fresh marketplace, and, and it could be catastrophic yeah. on so many fronts. In your years as a scout, how many times did you think you were seeing, and no revisionist history here, did you think you were seeing a, a franchise-defining player coming up through the ranks? Well, I, I mean, you can start, I mean... Uh, but I didn't see uh, in in his draft year. I didn't see Sundin. You didn't so see Sundin. I didn't see Sundin. I mean, I mean, you you watch him. I'd seen Sundin as a as a as a sixteen year old. Yeah. In in the, in the uh, under seventeen tournament. Okay. So you knew he was a terrific player. But I tell people this all the time. Nicholas Anderson, who was his teammate, was the best player in the tournament. Right. Right. So you know you you watch Mats and you saw. I mean, you saw a terrific, big, lanky centerman. I mean, I was in Minnesota at the time, and we had my, we had drafted Madano, who was still playing in Prince Albert that year. Right. He hadn't even turned pro after being the first. And you're watching Mike, and you. I mean, Mike was a, a phenomenal player, and you know you're like certainly. Based on what I'd seen with Matt, I, I wasn't saying to myself, well, well, he's clearly better than Madonna. Like, in fact, I wasn't saying he was better. But right. that's 16 years of age. Then you get to the next year, and, and Yager, you, you, everybody knew Yager was a good player. Right. Everybody knew. Then Lindros. I mean, there was no question that Lindros was a, was a franchise-defining player. There, there was simply 
Yeah. No doubt about it. You go through the drafts, you you think about the hammer. I mean, Niedermeyer went third that draft, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, Peter Forsberg went sixth. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a big difference between saying this player, this franchise-defining superstar, right, right. and saying you, these are players you like. Right. So you go through Hammerlick in 92, 1993, you look at Alexander Daig. I mean, you, you, Alexander Daig had, electrify, had, had had electricity about him and a competitive spirit and, you, you know, could skate and everything. And and I think you saw him as a, as a real as an electrifying type player. Uh-huh. I don't know if you, he, he certainly wasn't in the Lindros category. Right. Right. I mean, Pronger was the big lanky defenseman that you said, geez, boy, does this guy have some brilliance to him. But I don't think at that point in time, certainly from my, now I'm going to fast forward here real quick. You, you got Joe Vinovsky, Brian Berard, Chris Phillips, certainly not. Joe Thornton, you said, oh boy, this is a franchise center. Yeah. Okay. You, you, you said, boy, th- this is the real deal. Vinny LeCaldier, you felt the same way about his 98. 99, you know, that's the draft where uh, I'm trying to remember who went first that year. Stefan? Patrick Stefan. No way. Yeah. 2000, Rick DiPietro. Kovalchuk, you thought, was a was a dynamic, you know, real top end, you know, star, superstar type player. You know, I, I you, you start to go forward now. So you, Rick Nash, no. Flurry. Uh, Flurry, no. But then you start to get into the, the and, and this is where next year's draft could be very similar. Yeah. Ovechkin, Malkin. Yeah. Two, super, two superstars. That was my next question. Two yeah. superstars. And that's what I was really getting to. Yeah. When I say franchise-defining, Crosby was franchise-defining. Yeah. Lindros, Lemieux, those are franchise-defining players. Yeah. And that's that. That's the level up from superstar. Right. You go through it. Steve Stamkos, everybody knew he was the best player in the draft or felt he was the best player in the draft. He has become a franchise-defining player. But we didn't think that at the time. But, but you, you knew he was the elite, the best of the best. But not... That next level, yeah. Crosby. Well, he he's become so he's become time, that, but yeah. but at the time you didn't think franchise defining necessarily. Just not best, at all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. And you know, Drew Doughty won second in that draft, yep. and you you think about him. So you start to go back, and you know, I, I'll stop there. Yeah. You know, that's why I say Connor McDavid is the first franchise defining player since Sidney Crosby. But next year's draft, Ovechkin, uh, Malkin comparison one two. I mean, yeah. you're, you're two superstars. Yeah. So that's what that's what one two I, I that's what I think Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel have the opportunity to bring. Exciting, um, and you know what? Yeah, under seventeen last year in Victoriaville, I saw just a fantastic game, Ontario versus the USA, and I know there was uh, thirty six other skaters in the game, uh-huh. and I couldn't take my eyes off of Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid. They uh-huh. own the game. They own the fans' eyes, and they just put on a show that, you know, you still, it, to me, it was a glimpse of things to come. Yeah. Quickly, Josh Hosang moved up last list, moved up again this list. Uh, you have the similar feelings as uh, you expressed with the no, Dreisaitl? No, no, I, no, he, he uh, Dreisaitl was, was just not very smart on my part. Okay. Like, uh, with Josh, it's about like watching, and, and, and I've watched Josh since he played for the Marlies at, yeah. at 15, and uh, with Connor McDavid, yep. and Roland McEwen, and Sam and Bennett, Bennett, right? Yep. And, and, and a lot of other good players that were on that team, so you... you you watch him, you know the skill. He was at the All-State. You watch him in, in a number of different uh, scenarios and d- different environments. And, and I think he's continued to grow. 
I don't think anybody would ever question Josh Hosang's uh, talent level. But it's, but, but it's about working it, understanding when to use it, h- how to weave it within the framework of the team. And yeah. I, I, I think he's done those things. And, yeah. and that, to me, is, is a sign of growth. It's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of understanding. And that's why he's moved up. And that, that to me, is, is what I'm looking for. And I'm looking for that in, in all players. And certainly Josh has shown that to me. Marcus Pedersen, I just wanted to get a quick word on him because he he jumped up onto the... Yeah, well, you know, he's an interesting player. He played for Sweden at the under-17 uh, that won gold yeah. in Victoriaville that I was just alluding to. A big, lanky, a tall, lanky defenseman. I, I think exceptionally smart with the puck. You know, really, I think you're looking at a lot of projection with him, right? And quite frankly, he, I, I, you know, you're you're watching other players and you're thinking there's an, you you want to see uh, see him a couple more times. So you're kind of just that. I, I don't want to say you're putting him on the back burner, mm-hmm. but as I watched other guys and I go back on my notes and and everything watching Marcus in the past, I'm going, he belongs there now. I'm going to go to the under 18 and I'm going to see him again. Mm-hmm. And there's a very good possibility yep. that he's going to be in the top 30. Well, that's exciting. Um, good player. We're going to uh, go to a break. Ryan Jankowski, head scout of, uh, with Hockey Canada, is going to be our guest right after the break. And uh, great timing for us is Kevin Deneen, the coach of the uh, women's team at the Olympics in Sochi, was just named today to coach uh, the under 18 team at the World Championships in Finland. So. Uh, we're going to ask him about that and a lot more when we come back. Draft Center Podcast with Craig Button and Matt Cade. All right, welcome back. This is the Draft Center Podcast. This is Craig Button and Matt Cade. And right now we're thrilled to be joined by Ryan Jankowski, head scout for Hockey Canada, spent... Uh, I'm not sure what the totals are. 10, 11, 12 years in the NHL, Ryan, as a scout and as assistant GM. What's what's give me the give me the numbers? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> around 12, and then you throw in a few years scouting junior for the Spokane Chiefs, and it feels like I've been doing it my whole life. And but you you were with Hockey Canada in another capacity uh, before your NHL career as well, right? What what where? How long were you with Hockey Canada before? Yeah, in the early 2000s, I was uh, actually, actually started in the late 1990s with the uh, as as a shipper receiver. I worked my way into the video coach, and I was uh, had some great opportunities as video coach. The 2003 World Juniors and under 18s, as well as the 2002 Olympics, uh, mostly with the women's, a little bit with the men's. But it was uh, it was great to be there, and then life has come full circle now, being back, and it's exciting to be in this role with this program. Did anything that you, any experience you went through back then with Hockey Canada inform anything that you're, you know, that, that, that you're doing now? I mean, were you prepared in any sense for this role when, when you got, when you took it last summer? Oh, for sure. And I, I think once you've worked for Hockey Canada, you know how professional they are, you know what they look for. And that was a big determining factor for me to come back in this role is that I'm familiar with everyone. A lot of the people there, um, are still there from when I worked there before, including my boss, Scott Salmon, and we've got a great relationship. We always have. And, uh, you know, a lot of my experiences back then, it's changed a lot, obviously, with the uh, the parity in international hockey now. But uh, uh, looking at, you know, putting these teams together, not really much has changed from that standpoint in uh, in the 12 years that I was gone. 
Well, you know, I can say something. We talk about hockey, and uh, Ryan and I are uh, very similar. And a lot of a lot of our listeners, if any of them, would even know this. But but Ryan was born into hockey. I mean, his father, uh, Lou. I mean, was a was a great player in the Ontario Hockey League. He was a wonderful player in the minors. Had games in the National Hockey League and a long time uh, scout and run scouting in the National Hockey League. And certainly uh, was very close with my father. I mean, I have a I have a, a picture. My mother has a picture of. Uh, uh, Lou holding me as a as a very young child, or kind of I'm jumping somewhere on his on his lap and everything. But that's how ba- that's how far back the Jankowski Button relationship goes. So Ryan, much not not much like me, exactly like me. We were born into the game. So how, how fortunate we are uh, to be able to work into it. So. Ryan, uh, you know, I think he's a little bit humble in saying, you know, the path. The path was uh, almost set from the day he was born. Well, that's such great memories. And, uh, you know, I remember your father and uh, being around him when, you know, your dad and my dad scouted together. And I just feel real fortunate to be in this job and and, and it's something that I love to do. uh, But also to be able to father uh, follow my dad's footsteps and uh, basically, like you said, create this path for not just me, but you as well. Yeah. When you started at Hockey Canada in shipping receiving, did you did you have your eye on a scouting role eventually? Ryan? Maybe not this exact scouting role, but a scouting role, yes. And and I really got the love of scouting once I started with the Spokane Chiefs. And uh, the Chiefs are just a great organization run by a great man who's a mentor and a friend of mine, and Tim Spelt. He's the general manager there. And once I started going to the rinks watching hockey for a living, it was pretty clear that this is what I was going to do. And the, the one part of it uh, that actually we talked about a little bit off air is that you're away a lot uh, you're away from your family and and uh, people a lot but uh, that was the time I got to spend with my dad was going to the rink and uh, I wasn't sure that I'd want to do what dad did uh, when I was a teenager and saw dad away as much as he was but once I stepped foot in the rink and started watching hockey it uh, became pretty clear it's uh, it's in my blood. Well, it's it's the family business you're just jumping into the family <laughs> business right and you know you know Ryan was was the assistant manager in the New York Islanders. So you ask about this role, but you talk about the shipping and receiving. I mean, as an assistant manager, you're shipping players out and you're receiving players in. So see, the shipping and receiving did train him for his job as a man, assistant manager in New York. That's a great way to put it, Greg. Um, so you're, you're back in the Hockey Canada fold and, and you go from trying to project guys four or five years down the road to what, are they, what can they do for me now? Has it been difficult to make that transition back? Is it a piece of cake? I mean, is your instinct, are you still looking at kids and do you have that instinct to, in you that still says, I i don't know about making the U17 team, the U18 team for this kid, but I can see that being a special player down the road. How, how do you see, I mean, you watch hockey games in a different way now? Uh, yeah, you definitely have to watch games in a different way. Uh, it just takes uh, just kind of a refocus of the mind and refocus of the eye and uh, when you're putting together the list for the World Junior Camp or the World Junior Tryout uh, list in December, you're dealing with the right now. You're dealing with the today. Uh, those players are playing for you currently. Um, now with the under-17 program, especially us taking it over at Hockey Canada, you're projecting a little bit more, which we do as NHL scouts, but it's almost as you would as a Western Hockey League or Ontario Hockey League or CHL scout uh, because you're dealing with kids at a younger age. And 
Um, it's always difficult to kind of project 15-year-olds how they're going to be at 20, let alone 27 years old. Uh, but you're doing that right now when you go out to the minor midget tournaments or the uh, the, the, the tournaments that the 15-year-olds are at. With this group, uh, the under-18s, uh, we get to deal with the right now as well. It's our world championship, so uh, we're definitely fortunate with that, that uh, we can deal with the right now, but there's always the balance. Do we take the player that's better right now to win, or do we take the player that might play at the World Juniors in two years uh, through some development and improvement? And that's the balance, and I, I think uh, I, I certainly feel, Hockey Canada, we have the uh, win-now mentality, and let's put our best team on the ice, and that's what our coaching staff wants, that's what Hockey Canada wants, and that's what we want. But uh, just to summarize there, yeah, it, it's a little bit different, um, but scouting is scouting, and you're watching hockey players, and you're not just projecting who's going to be the best now, but you're projecting who's going to be best in the future. And when you have the whole aspect of the program in front of you, that's the real exciting part of seeing the kids who are 15, uh, 16, 17, 18, and then eventually play in at the World Juniors at 19. And that's the fun part, watching everybody grow. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question after I just kind of make a a commentary. But, you know, you you talk about the the under-18, and that is a world championship. And you have to give yourself the best chance to win. So it is about today, uh, April. But, you know, Hockey Canada, and Ryan, you're a big part of this. Excuse me is that, you know, they, they bring players now to the under-18 camp in April. Now, obviously, there's a lot of teams in the CHL that are still playing, so you're limited to who you can draw from. But they bring in younger players. Now, maybe some of those players, and I'm talking about underage players, that might go on and help the team. Like Sam Bennett stayed around and played last year with the under-18 team. Braden Point didn't. But Braden Point came back uh, in August – four months later, and was a key contributor to a gold medal at the Ivan Alinka tournament. So, I mean, that whole idea about the experiences trying to help you today, but also with an eye to how it'll help you tomorrow, doesn't mean because he didn't help you or didn't make the team that they're not looking at. So maybe, Ryan, I'll let you just speak to that for a second, then I'll ask you the, 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 my other question. Well, without a doubt, Craig, and that's uh, that's very good forethinking by Hockey Canada, by Scott Salmon, by the policy committee to bring the young players in and to give them that experience. And they're rewarded for it. They're rewarded. And and the difficult thing with putting this team together is everybody's coming off a disappointment. So you've got players who didn't make the playoffs. You've got players who maybe lost a play-in game, uh, like Red Deer did, uh, the Red Deer-Prince Albert game from Tuesday night. Um, You're bringing players in who either lost in the first round or the second round. So there's massive disappointment. And the fun part about this is that it gives them a little bit of a re-energization to finish their year off on a high to be named to this team. And to bring the young guys, uh, they're rewarded for a good year. They're rewarded for playing well at the Under-17 World Hockey Challenge uh, for their specific uh, regional teams. And they also now see the bright lights. They see what it takes to now play at the Under-18 level. And even if they're only there through the exhibition part and have to go home, uh, that experience, we feel, is still very rewarding for them when coming back to try out for the Ivan Holinka team next year. And it just gives us the opportunity to touch them one more time and uh, show them what Hockey Canada is all about and uh, what our expectations are within the program. So not only are they going to come back in August for the Ivan Holinka camp and be better because of it, but maybe take a leadership role because of what they've been through. Yeah, so now I'm going to ask you, as you're preparing and you touch on it, and 
you know, the World Junior Tournament has uh, is captures everybody's attention. Uh, well ahead of the tournament, certainly leading up to the tournament and at the tournament. But I think this is an opportunity to, for you to describe and just talk about the process. I mean, we hear it so often. We've heard it for, I've heard it for 25 years, 30 years. You have. You're going to hear it again in December. <laughs> Why isn't so-and-so on the team? Why is it that guy is a first-round pick? That guy was drafted 12th, and why does he not on the team and the guy that's uh, not even been drafted on the team? Maybe just try to go through that evaluation process and helping people understand of how you look at that tournament and where players are at at a particular point and why they may be invited and why they may not be invited. Those are real good questions. And as I evolve in this role, I'm learning as you go. And for 10 years as an outsider, but still attending the tournament every year, you're an armchair quarterback. And I've armchair quarterbacked every decision, no different than uh, <laughs> any fan or any uh, anybody in the media has. And uh, now you're put into the role, and you've had the experience of going to the tournament however many times. Um, now you're faced with those decisions. And the, the very interesting thing for me, and that I'm going through actually right now, is when we do most of our heavy world junior scouting is the end of September, October, November, leading into December. And there's no doubt we want the players who are playing at the highest level at that point. We want the players who are playing well at that point, but, and uh, the CHL might not like hearing this, but those games in that period don't really mean a lot. Obviously they mean a lot in the standings. They mean a lot to the players, but there's not, life and death, sudden death, playoff-type implications at that time of year. So you're going on a Wednesday night to Owen Sound, watching uh, two teams play who are playing games 22 and 23 in the regular season. Um, You learn a lot about the players in those games. They're obviously the top players in those games. And you, uh, you, you, you base your depth chart a lot on what you see at that time. What we can do now and the under-18 interferes with this a little bit, but I can manipulate and work my schedule into balancing this, is that I want to see how these players play now. I want to see, so I've got a depth chart in my mind um, on our system. Who is our, who are our candidates, not just for the summer with the under-18 here, sorry, with the World Junior uh, summer camp, but who are our top candidates for next year's World Juniors? I want to see a lot of those what I'll call bubble players play right now at this time of year through their playoffs. And what I'm going to learn at this time of year is when the chips are down, uh, when you're down three games to two in a series, or you're playing game three on the road after losing your first two at home or whatever the situation is, I'm going to learn a lot about the players through this time frame. And I, I, I love it. I love being able now to go uh, tonight, for example, to go see Calgary and Kootenai play and go see some of the players in that game and who's going to raise their game at this time of the year because we've seen it for years and years. Uh, Obviously, the NHL playoffs are extremely special, but the World Juniors, certain players rise to the challenge at that time of year and uh, with the pressure on. And I think the best way to see that is at this time of year in the playoffs. So uh, all this comes into consideration when you're evaluating players. You have to make decisions that are best for the team and uh, one thing that we've talked about over the last few years is putting the best team on the ice. It's not an all-star team, but it's the best hockey team. And 
that's what we did this past year. I know it's been done in the past. Uh, not the success that we wanted this past year, but I still felt we had a real good team on the ice. A uh, lot of talk about how the Olympic team was put together. Do we do the same sort of thing? Do we try and put our best skilled players together and say to the rest of the world, come at us, try and beat us? Um, and there's a lot of tinkering that we'll do moving forward and how we do put our teams together. And uh, with our under-17 program, we've got an opportunity to tinker at that level with our three national teams to play with how we put our teams together with our under-18 teams, how do we put our teams together. But I think there's a lot we can learn from what we just saw at the Olympics from everything from uh, a player's buy-in standpoint to uh, the type of game they played on the ice that we'll, that we'll talk about this summer and uh, how do we model ourselves after that success to make us better at the world junior level. So, you know, just again, just following up or continuing on would probably be a better way of putting it. So you're going to go to the game tonight in Calgary, and you're going to see Kootenai, and Sam Reinhardt is playing for Kootenai, and Jake Furtanen is playing for for Calgary, who's a, a re- going to be a high draft pick this year. So, Greg Chase, and I just use him because he's in the game tonight, he's had a terrific year, you know, really he hasn't been part of Hockey Canada, he was part of the Canada Games how do you now go in and how do those players get dealt with in your depth chart? And, you know, obviously I would say, you know, my, from my own perspective, bubble player or players that you want to evaluate further. But how 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 do you tell that whole group of players, which is a large group, hey, there's an opportunity here? Uh, that's a good question as well. And, and I think what we have to remember is that it's not going to be my first time seeing Greg Chase play. So it's not a one-off, and uh, that's, that's important in this business that we don't base everything on one or two viewings. Uh, we have solid viewings, and, and as I go on in this role, uh, seeing players at the under-16 level, at the under-17 level, as 16-year-olds in the CHL coming into their 17-year-old year, you follow them, you track their progression, you make sure you have good notes on these players, and you find the players who are trending up. And you're also now trying to... Uh, in your mind, visualize how they would be on the big stage. And Greg Chase is a very good example. He's had a very good year with the Calgary Hitmen. He's had two very good years with the Calgary Hitmen. Um, and there's, yet there's a group of players like that across the country. Yeah. So you have to take all your information in. Uh, you also have to use your network. And the network is very important in this job. I can only be in one arena per night. Uh, but I know there's a scout or a hockey person or someone involved in the game that's in almost every rank every night and you have to reach out and use those people and whether it's other nhl scouts or chl coaches chl general managers uh, people involved in the game who see these players on a more regular basis than i do get their information use your network to support uh, what you're thinking uh, get some ideas on how they've been off the ice and what the word is on those players, but at the end of the day, I've got to make the decision myself. So uh, I can hear what I, whatever I hear about Greg Chase as the year goes on. I've seen him three or four times, maybe five or six times if, uh, if it's a priority team. And now you're comparing the Greg Chases to the other players across the country who are fighting for those last few spots on the summer camp. And really, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to how we build our team. And um, bringing back potentially 11 players on the world junior roster 
knowing that a lot of those guys are going to likely be in the NHL, but you know what? It still gives us a real good foundation to start with. And then uh, finding the right mix for those players and putting the players in the opportunity to uh, succeed when they come to our summer camp to make an impression for us, uh, for us to follow them in the fall once their season starts again with the CHL after they've been to an NHL camp. And all these things are very good opportunities for these players. All these experiences are good opportunities for those players to develop and get better. And as we saw this year, and, and the name I'll use is Josh Anderson, a player who was a mid-round NHL pick, uh, who probably would have never even thought about being considered for the world junior team. Uh, the, the start of the year that he had with the London Knights, playing in a good program, a program where he develops, went to Columbus, had a very good training camp with Columbus, and uh, now all of a sudden is playing into our world junior team and, uh, and in my opinion, filled the role perfectly at the world juniors. He scored the odd goal. He skated well, he used his size well, and was the least of our issues at that tournament. Those players are going to appear every year. Uh, my hoping and my note-taking and my uh, network has good information, uh, whether it's my own information or the network's information, to see how far he's come and recognize the developments that he's made and that he can now step on the world stage and be a good player for us. Yeah, I, I mean, that's outstanding. And, you, you know, I just, I, I bring up Greg Chase, only, and I know, like, I mean, Zach Nastasiak, you know, a second-round pick to the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, there are so many of those players. And you mentioned Josh, and I was going to mention J.C. LaPon, and then the previous year, Tanner Pearson, guys that just showed their way. And, and I guess really, and, and you explained it so well, Ryan, it's just all the all the players out there that have aspirations to represent Canada at the World Junior Tournament, I mean, they're watching. <laughs> Keep playing. Don't think because you, you haven't played at this point. Keep playing. You will you will see the eyes of the play, uh, of the people watching and making decisions. W- one other thing I want to follow up on, and you talk about your network. Maybe this is an opportunity to talk about the network that was just implemented, and I specifically talk about. Joel Bouchard, Mark Hunter, and Bruce Hamilton. Uh, they've been outstanding. And then what they provide is they provide experience on the ground level with, the world, with, with their junior teams that they can bring to our program and make our program better. And uh, Joel has really, really embraced our under-17 program uh, with the new changes that we have with the uh, program going forward. Um, taking over the program, going to three national teams uh, starting next year. Joel has been outstanding in uh, his recommendations, his thoughts, um, his information in making our program better. Uh, Mark Hunter with our under-18s in the summer with the Ivan Holinka team. Uh, his experience with the London Knights with a program that's had nothing but success uh, over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, Hockey Canada is—they do an—we do an outstanding job at the international level. We know the international game. We know how the tournaments work. These people provide a little bit of the day-to-day workings of their CHL team and can bring different ideas to make us better. And and Bruce Hamilton did that at the World Juniors. Um, His experience with the Kelowna Rockets and and. It could be such a little thing as tweaking the daily schedule. It could be a big thing about player selection. Uh, Bruce and Scott Salmond in our office worked very closely together on the whole world juniors, the vision of it, and what we want to accomplish with the program. 
And now these three people, along with Sean Burke, who's uh, become a part of our management group, uh, his experience as a player who played for Canada many times internationally, uh, Olympics, uh, World Juniors, uh, World Championships, and so on. Uh, it really provides more information for us to be better. And, and that's across the board. Like I said, that could be anything from trainers to daily schedule to player selection uh, or just talking with the coaches at the event and uh, somebody for the coaches to bounce some ideas off of. These people deal with this on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Sean Burke in Phoenix with Dave Tippett and Don Maloney and the three uh, major junior general managers, they live this. And for them to bring that experience to us, uh, only makes us better, and I've—I know my, myself personally. I've enjoyed my time with all four of those guys. Uh, we're in the process right now of doing conference calls with our league, with with each CHL league, on getting more information about the players, and and they're a part of that network that can give us information. And Mark Hunter, nobody knows players in Ontario better than Mark Hunter does with his work ethic and how many games he sees. Uh, their information is valuable. Again on our uh, selection process and making sure we have the right type of players that are going to uh, play for us internationally. Lots more I'd like to talk to you about. I, I think we should just quickly get, we're recording on Thursday afternoon. I'm not sure when exactly the podcast is going to be put up, but of course you have a coaching staff now for your under 18 team. How did, how did that all come together? And, and I guess, when did it all come together? Uh, it came together over the last couple of weeks um, after the Olympics, uh, the uh, the office was basically you know was was able to refocus and and get back set on uh, our upcoming events starting with this world championship uh, under 18s and then the men's world championship coming up in uh, May. Um, we're we're in a somewhat of a difficult situation uh, with this under 18 team because of the CHL playoffs going on. Um, we only have so many such a we have a small coaches pool to tap into. Uh, which leaves us with very few alternatives, so to speak, from uh, each of the CHL leagues. Uh, Kevin, with his experience at the uh, at the Olympics with the women's team, uh, how highly regarded he was from Hockey Canada, uh, what he was able to do there with the girls and the success that he had uh, made him a real easy choice, I believe, for this job. And uh, that took you know uh, Scott Salmon, Bob Nicholson, the policy committee, uh, the, so each of the CHL uh, commissioners Dave Branch, Jules Courteau, Ron Robinson, uh, to basically agree to that, uh, to to bringing Kevin on board, and uh, from my information, they were all very supportive and positive, and it was um, it was an easy decision to go out to Kevin to reach out to him uh, for Bob Nicholson and Scott Salmon to go out to him, and uh, it's, he's been great so far. And uh, my discussions with him about our depth chart, about our players, he sounds very excited. He's uh, really eager to get going and uh, and work on this project for us uh, with the under-18s. And it's a fun tournament. Uh, I've been there, obviously, many times. This is going to be my first time in this role, and uh, it's a fun tournament to be a part of. It's uh, We are going to have good players, despite uh, our pool being smaller. And Kevin's very excited to take it on, and, uh, and he's asked a lot of real good questions, and uh, there'll be a lot of trust involved both ways there. And He's got very good experience with Gord Murphy in uh, from his days with the Florida Panthers. They were Gord was part of Kevin's coaching staff, and then Trevor Latowski, who just finished a tough year with the Sarnia Sting, but knows the junior hockey player and also uh, played internationally. Played at a World Juniors for Canada. He played in Russia for a few years, so he'll know the international game as will Kevin from his experience at the Olympics. 
and Gord Murphy had a son uh, actually play for Team USA and go through the whole under-17, under-18 experience. So he's going to be well-versed in it uh, from the last few years as well. So we're excited. I'm excited to uh, get going with these guys. And, and once we have a more clear picture of who our players are going to be and uh, who we have access to, it, the, the excitement's even going to build more. And I know our coaches are really excited to get going. The only trouble is you have a trend to bust, which is that Canada's only won this team when it's been played in in Russia, as far as I as far as I know, the U eighteen yes. World Championship. So, yeah. tournament in Finland this year, of course. So you have to get over but that. It's close to Russia. <laughs> yeah, we'll be, we'll be right so it's that silver then. Border. It's right on the border there. I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, uh, you know, I it, it, it's funny how different things come into play when we talk about like, oh, it's only been one here, but I think that uh, you know, Ryan. He's out there. He's watching all the players, and I, you know, you are limited because you don't have access to all the players because of the CHL playoffs. But uh, fortunately, uh, this year is one of those years where you're going to have a lot of good players that, uh, like you said, had some disappointment uh, with their club teams, and this is an opportunity to, uh, you know, finish it, finish it off, kick it off like the guys did last year in Sochi. So, Ryan, well, uh, I'm going to see you over in Finland. Look forward to it, and. Look forward to seeing you before then also. That's great, guys. And, yeah, it's an exciting time for us. And uh, really looking forward to getting this going. And we'll see you uh, overseas. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, guys. All right, welcome back to the Draft Center Podcast. Let's wrap this up. Um, not as much time today as we usually like to have, but that was awesome. A longer interview with Ryan Jankowski today than I think we usually get with our, our, our guests. So that was fantastic of him. So much so much to talk about with him and even stuff that we didn't get into that I would really like to ask him about, but which I guess we'll have to wait uh, until another time to get to. But um, How impressive is it, though? You know, here's Ryan with a long history and a strong background in hockey. But to really understand the depth and breadth that Hockey Canada goes through yeah. when they're evaluating players. Forget about the Olympic team, when Steve Eisenman stood up and said, you know, there's nobody outside There's nobody outside of my group here, my management group and coaches, that have spent more time watching these players, debating these players, discussing these players, how they could fit into the framework of Team Canada than these gentlemen here. Yeah. And people say, oh, well, how come we don't have this guy? How come we don't have that guy? It's a confidence. Well, I think Ryan... You know, really uh, expressed and and pointed out how the depth and breadth of Hockey Canada, under seventeen, under eighteen, the World Junior Tournament, yeah. and, and and that's exactly what they do. And I, I think for people that say, how can they not have this guy? And, and, and I love this term. We're, we're all armchair quarterbacks, yeah. right? And, and you know, one of the things, and and, and I say this to uh, uh, to Ryan, I, I said it to Kevin Prendergast in the past, and. To, to many other people that have been involved with Hockey Canada, I said, you know, the one thing I've learned over the years is that you're the ones that have to live yeah. with your decisions. Yeah. And what I try to offer isn't about, you know, you should have picked this guy or that guy. I just, when I'm asked, to, in, the, in the times I've ever been asked is, you know, here's what I think you get with this player. Here's where I think he can fit. You're the ones that have to determine that. Right. But I've never, ever, after the fact, Said, geez, that was a when they won. I know last year in Ufa, uh, leading up to the uh, semifinal game, I was in Victoriaville. Jesus, U seventeen keeps coming back, and I said to Kevin Prendergast uh, after Canada had beat Russia in the uh, in the New Year's Eve game, yeah. just a phenomenal effort. Yeah, and I said to him, I said, 
I don't think I've seen a team play better yeah. going into the semifinal round than this Team Canada team. And I, I, I thought they had done everything right, everything that they wanted to do to prepare themselves to win gold. Now, th- they had a game against the U.S. that just wasn't very good. Yeah. And then they lose in overtime to Russia. They come home without a medal for the first time in forever. And yet everybody says they failed, and and to me that, that that's what I always try to do. Listen, it's hard to win, yeah. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good teams, and as Ryan pointed out, but you know the understand. I want everybody to understand out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? They are putting an enormous amount of effort to try to ensure that they can get the players that will help the team be successful that day in that tournament. Yeah, and the coaching staff this year is going to rely especially heavily on Ryan and his and, and his yep. other uh, his team of scouts because um, Kevin, I'm sure, isn't really in the know about any of these players. and, and Probably Gord isn't either. Right, right? so and, Trevor knows the OHL guys. And, but, and that would be it. Yeah. Right? So. But so, anyway, it's, you know, and again, why isn't that guy on the team? Why isn't that guy on the team? Why didn't they pick that guy, you know? And hey, it, 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 they also know it's part and parcel of being part of Hockey Canada. So right. it's also part and parcel of, of being the best in the world, that everybody's gunning for you. The other country's trying to win gold. Yeah. And the people at home. <laughs> yeah. I ran into Ryan the other day at a game, and, and he was taking some gentle ribbing from from uh, uh, some the general manager of, of one of the OHL teams about, you know, about that kind of thing about, you know, my, maybe my players should be on, you know, on your team. And it was, it was just funny. Ryan's used to that stuff. He, he knows the deal and, and uh, you know, he's a real sharp guy and, and you know, he's, he's going to make those tough decisions. So. Well, I can tell you this, we had a player a number of years back. <clears throat> we had, uh, it was part of our system and uh, I got asked by the, by the coach of the world junior team at the time. He, he asked me, he said, do you think so-and-so, what do you think about so-and-so? And I said, I don't think he can help you. And there was a long pause. He said, no, no, I really, I mean, no, I said, I don't think he can help you. I don't think he's ready. <laughs> I, I, I think he's got a lot of skill, obviously. We believe in him, but but I don't think he's ready to help you. I right. don't believe that that player is what you need at this point in time. I, I think he needs another year under his belt before he can come in and, and give you a meaningful contribution. There's a little more pause. He goes, so I so that I said yeah that's that's all I can tell you. <laughs> he said okay. <laughs> they didn't select him, yeah. but I remember him saying to me, "He goes so rarely do I hear that." Right. And he was a player within our group, within within our organization. Yeah. Right. I wasn't, but that's how I felt. I mean, you, you know, these coaches have their reputations. They want the best players, right? Yeah. And again. Most of the time, people have rose-colored glasses on. Yeah. My player's better than your player. Your player's better. You know, everybody thinks their player's better than the other player. Right. Well, guess what? There's a lot of good players out there. Right. And Ryan Jankowski, Steve Eisenman, they show it time and time again. It's about having the courage of your convictions. Right. And, you know, your goal is to win. You're not always going to. But tell, I'll tell you what, what a process. Right. Just before we go, we we didn't get into it with Ryan, but there's there, we've, we've got to assume, we, well, we, we, you mentioned Braden Point. Hayden Fleury, Red Deer's out. Connor Bleakley probably going to be on the yep. team. Um, I don't know if there's any other sort of in stone players that are that are already on the roster that we can think of. Um, but yeah, it's well, a waiting game now because they 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 get the benefit of two rounds now, like last year, rather well, than just the first round. They, they really don't get the benefit of two rounds. What they get the benefit of two rounds is is the fact is is that they can add a couple of players. They can right. they can add a, like two or three players that can come in late. Right and everything. You can't wait that long to start 
preparing your team and formulating your team. So, and 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 it, and it's been a, a significant transition. And you hear Ryan talk about the policy committee. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of things. You know, bringing the young players. I, let me just say this: it it becomes a situation where those players, you know, missing school. That yeah. becomes a real because they want to develop the 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 person and and make sure they're not missing school. So now you say, well, he's been in in in, in his junior team. You know, how much more school is he going to miss? Right. So there's a lot of things that go through and are contemplated and considered before they make these decisions. And so that you know they bring the education advisor over there to work with the players. So right. really well done by Hockey Canada. Let me just say that. But I think that you know it, they really had the benefit of the play the, the teams out of the playoffs and the first round. Like the, the, right. that's a definitive thing. So if you start to look through the leagues and you start to say, uh, you know, this team looks like they they could be out, they're overmatched, right? Mm-hmm. Th- then you can start to uh, go from there. Like bottom when you look at it, Peterborough is going to play Kingston in the first round of the playoffs. So mm-hmm. if Peterborough wins. Well, that means they have Spencer Watson, Sam Bennett, and Roland McEwen available to them, right? Mm-hmm. If Kingston if Kingston wins, well, then that means that they have available to them Eric Cornell. Mm-hmm. You know, if Barry loses to Sudbury, well, they have Aaron Eckblad available mm-hmm. to them, right? I mean, so these are the things when you look at the first-round matchups, you know, you can, you, you can look and say, okay, this player or not that player is available. But that, that's why that's – why Ryan talks about being prepared over the course of a long period of time mm-hmm. so that they can tap in and say, okay, here, here's where we need to go to. But, you know, they a lot more confident. You know, it used to be, oh, we have to have our team. Now they understand by the people, the coaches, what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. We can add some players and see how it all how, how it all unfolds. It seemed, it, it's got to be rare that you'd have, you know, a, a, an Aaron Eckblad back for this tournament after playing at the World Juniors, but I mean, McDavid, you know, same boat. And uh, But I guess if Patrice Bergeron can go to the World Championships and then come back and play for the World Juniors, then anybody's, it's all fair game. Well, and I think if you, if you look at Aaron Eckblad or any other player, they're excited about getting over there, sure. right? Like, I mean, like, and Ryan makes a great point. If players are dealing with different uh, levels of disappointment. Teams that didn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Teams that get knocked out of the playoffs, right? It's disappointment. So if Aaron Eckblad's team lost, then you would have to say, then you would have to say, you know, then Aaron goes, well, geez, that's disappointing. Okay, I get another opportunity to finish with a success. Yeah. And I think that's exciting for the players. I think that's a wonderful opportunity. So, but we just have to wait and see. How, but let's not forget, two years ago, Canada won bronze in, uh, mm-hmm. in, in Brno, Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Felix Gerard and Hunter Shinkarik joined the team late after getting knocked out of the playoffs. Yep. Hunter Shinkarik scored the winning goal in the bronze medal game. That's right. This is the Draft Center podcast, and uh, that's it for today. I hope I don't know if we can record before you're off to Finland. Well, I don't see why we wouldn't. Well, let's, let's aim to do I that. I think then. I don't leave for Finland until April 17th, so I think we just got to find uh, probably, you know, end of the season, maybe draft lottery. Perfect. Draft lottery is on Tuesday, yeah. April the 15th. Let's do it. So let, Yeah, I think we do. Uh, Craig Button is at Craig J. Button. I'm at TSN Matt Cade. This is the Draft Center Podcast. Thanks for listening. Just move on up.